0: Good morning, everyone. Um, So today's reading is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. The Sermon on the Mount. When he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying... Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy blessed are the pure in heart for they will see god blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called sons of god blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness for the kingdom of heaven is theirs you are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And now we're going to be reading the Apostles' Creed. So if I can just get everyone to stand up, please. The Apostles' Creed. I believe in God he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
1: Thankfully, we expose all the non Anglicans by not putting up the words of the Creed, just, just to make you feel awkward. Hey, um, I uh, made a mistake last week, I made a mistake actually uh, in planning out this series from the beginning, I made a big mistake in trying to shove it all into 12 weeks, uh, then I went to 13 weeks, and then we got here last week, and you sat there for an hour while I preached half of my sermon, and all of it was was a mistake. Not preaching through the Sermon on the Mount, but trying to shove it all in. Um, just so you know, like planning out the, the preaching program, um, I try and do it two, one to two years ahead of time, um, just so I know where we're going and uh, can get ahead of it in terms of study and so on. Um, it's, it's always in pencil. I got that, that, that approach to it from my friend, um, guy Mason who really who 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 impressed on me the importance of being well prepared like years ahead of time prepared but also um, able to be led in different directions even at the last moment so planned well but in pencil that was the principle but I failed to see it through in this series and I was just I was really unsettled before the sermon last week and then even more afterwards, you guys are always really reassuring whenever I feel like I've gone for too long. At least the people who, who, who talk to me say, um, don't worry about it, you know, it's fine. But I felt, I felt unsettled, not just because it was a long sermon, but because I felt like I was just trying to rush through it. I had other ideas for stuff for us to look at later in the year. Anyway, I spent some time this week just re- designing the whole thing. And instead of 12 weeks, we're going to do 20, all right? So we'll get to Easter. We'll take a couple of weeks for Easter and, and for um, break after Easter. And then we'll just continue on probably to the end of August um, in pencil, to the end of August to get through Matthew 5 to 7, because it's just too much. It's too good. It's too important um, to, to try and gloss over. So we're back, the same place we began last week in the Beatitudes, and I'm just going to take a little bit of time to, to, to recapture the purpose of, of Jesus' sermon, particularly these this first 12 verses, His Beatitudes, His, his Macarisms, His recipe for the good life, uh, and then we're going to get to the, 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 the Beatitudes that we didn't get to last week, and I'm not going to try to do any more than that. So, um, with that in mind, let me just remind you that uh, these, these, this, this section of teaching, 5 to 7, really is um, Jesus' vision for his disciples. You, you'll notice if you read through the whole gospel, you've got Matthew chapter 4, where Jesus just walks along and says, you guys stop fishing, follow me, and they do it. They are now his disciples. They're now committed to walking in his footsteps the the blessing on hebrew disciples in the at jesus time was you know something like may the may the may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi that is literally you would be following him around walking in his footsteps and learning to live as he lived what sets jesus apart as a rabbi is all of the teaching that he gave was also the life that he lived he was absolutely consistent, um, which you can see as you read through the rest of the gospel. You can test all of this lofty teaching that Jesus is giving. Is it just ideological? Is it just, um, is it just um, idealistic? Or does he actually live out this teaching as he calls his followers to follow him in it? And the answer is unequivocally, yes, he does. He practices what he preaches And so this this section of teaching, 5 to 7, what we call the Sermon on the Mount, is this vision that he's casting for his disciples to live the good life in the kingdom that he has inaugurated, the kingdom that he is bringing to bear, the kingdom of God in their midst. So let me just remind you of the purpose, the Beatitudes, this section, verses 1 to 12, the Beatitudes are both a description of and an invitation to the good life as a disciple of Jesus. This is why he keeps saying blessed, happy, flourishing are these people. It's a description of and an invitation to the good life as a disciple of Jesus. How to live in the kingdom of God. How to live if God is your father. How to live if you're going to be a follower of God. Of Jesus that's the whole point of this thing the last two weeks we've done a whole lot of groundwork heavy lifting groundwork and some of you have even come back uh, this week after all of that so praise God for you the Spirit of God must be at work among us if that's the case if you miss those two just do me a favor if you're going to invest in the next 17 weeks just go back and And either watch or listen through if you go to our website there's a sermon page um, and you can get video or audio you can get there's links to 500 other sermons that we've preached here over the years just go there and 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 just brush up on on the last couple of last couple of sermons just to get a a bit of a grounding in this because i'm just going to assume a lot of that as we jump in into the middle of the beatitudes this morning so with this understanding in mind, that this is, this is Jesus' vision for his disciples. He's called them in Matthew 4. He's sat them down on the mountain in, in 5 to 7. He is kind of a, the, the fulfillment, the new Moses on the top of the mountain, speaking the words of God, not just receiving them and putting them on tablets, but actually speaking them actively to his disciples. And so now you need to seat yourself with His disciples, if indeed you are one of His disciples. If you're here this morning and you say, well, yeah, I call myself a Christian, that means you're a disciple of His. That means that you're sitting with Peter and James and John and Andrew. That means you're sitting with His disciples. If you're here this morning and you're not yet a Christian, Jesus is speaking to you too. There were crowds gathered on the mountain that were just there to listen. We, they hadn't opt in at the, opted in at this point, but they wanted to hear what this guy was on about. So this is for you too. But you need to know, if you call yourself a Christian, this is Jesus' vision for you. This is his description of what it means to be a Christian. And this has been lost over the years. There are those who have said, this teaching of Jesus is... a it really is just like Old Testament law. It's not for us. It's, its purpose is just to get us to despair of ourselves and then throw ourselves on God's mercy and then, then we get to Romans and, and, and that's, that stuff is for us. There are those who believe that everything that Jesus said, everything that the Gospels tell us up until Jesus' resurrection isn't for us. It's just it was for His disciples at the time, but it doesn't really apply to us. I've had this arm wrestle with people in this church. But here's the problem. If you're going to take that way of interpreting what Jesus says, well, first of all, you're kind of going to be wasting your time for the next 17 to 20 weeks because I'm going to be telling you this is Jesus teaching for you. He really means it. He's looking at you when he says this, not just Peter and James and Andrew and John. This is a call to us to respond to, for us to take seriously and for us to integrate into our lives. The problem for you, if this is you and you think, well, this doesn't, I mean, this is for them or or it's kind of like, it's not really meant to be applied by me or, you know, this is like the law, it's just, it, you know, I, I, I've been saved by grace so I don't really need to listen to Jesus' commands and His imperatives. The problem for you is, at the end of this sermon, we're going to get to this by August, he says in Matthew 7, this is what he says, about all that he's been saying, all of this teaching. Now, just see if this apply, you, you apply this to yourself. He said, "'Everyone who hears these words of mine, "'this Sermon on the Mount and acts on them "'will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. "'The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew "'and pounded that house, yet it didn't collapse "'because its foundation was on the rock.'" But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them, who dismisses them as some sort of Old Covenant teaching, who dismisses them as too lofty to be obeyed, whatever, part of belonging to some sort of dispensation that doesn't apply to believers in the 21st century, whatever it is, everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell the rivers rose the winds blew and pounded that house and it collapsed it collapsed with a great crash so this is what you do to jesus teaching if you say it was just for them you make it sand you make it foundationless you say it belonged to another time it was for another set of people And in the end, you've got to throw away all of Matthew's gospel because by the end of Matthew's gospel, here's what Jesus says again, Matthew 28. And if you take this as a commission for you, if you take this as a commandment to you as a believer, then hear what he says. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. We say, yes, we'll do that. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. Remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age, not to the end of his earthly ministry. To the end of the age, we are not only to take on his teaching and apply it to ourselves, but to teach others to do so as they come to faith in the Lord Jesus. This teaching is timeless. You know, sometimes it strikes me that there are people outside of the church who quote Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount more than we do. Some of his teaching has made its way because it's so sublime, it's so profound. It's made its way into the, the the popular consciousness, and yet Christians are the ones who overlook it or dismiss it as being too much, too much to follow. So, that was my call, once again, to hear this and to take it seriously. If you are indeed a follower of Jesus, this, what he says, is what it means to follow Him. This is His vision for the good life. Now, quick recap on those first five Beatitudes. I promise you, it's going to be quick. Let me just run through them because this all hangs together and, and I don't want to just assume that we all remember last week. All right, so first of all, He says, and this is the most important, the preeminent, the fountain of all the other the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. There is no one in the kingdom of heaven who is not poor in spirit. The poor in, the spirit, in spirit are those who despair of their own righteousness and throw themselves on God's mercy. That's what it is to be converted. That's what it is to accept God's grace. It's to first of all say, I've got nothing to give. I'm bankrupt. I'm poor in spirit. Next one, verse 4. Blessed, related to that one, blessed, happy, flourishing are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Happy are the sad. And I said last week, I made a specific application to the mourning that you experience when you come to terms with your sinfulness, your rebellion, your failure. That mourning, Jesus says, leads to comfort. That kind of mourning over your rejection of God, leads to comfort from God, because like the prodigal son, it leads you back to God. Let me just make a broader application as well. How about this? It's just good to mourn in general. If you are someone familiar with mourning, then you are someone who is like Jesus. If you read through these Gospels, you'll see there are periods of time where Jesus mourns. He mourns over the state of the world around him. Why? Because he knows what the world should be. He knows what the world is going to be. He knows he has his own vision for the way that the world will be as the kingdom of God spreads over the earth and he mourns over the state of the world as it is. Remember, outside Lazarus' tomb, his friend is dead. He knows he's about to raise him from the dead and yet he weeps. Why? Because it's wrong. Death is wrong. Sin is wrong. The state of the world is wrong. I'm sick, i am just tell you, I'm sick of going to funerals where they say, often it's a guy up the front with the collar on who says, this is not a service of mourning, this is a celebration of life. Bull. It is a service. The guy is in the front in a box. We should mourn. This is wrong. This is wrong. This is why Jesus weeps. If you guys have a celebration of life at my funeral, I'll be so ticked. I want to see tears. Yes, because I'm gone, but also just because it's wrong. This is not the way the world was intended to be. And so whenever we come up against an offense to God's good world, His good intention of the world, we ought to mourn. The comfort comes as we see Jesus' kingdom spread over the earth. And his rule established on the earth, finally and fully, when he returns again, the ultimate mourning turned to comfort. I'm getting carried away. All right, got to move to, what's the next one? Verse 5, blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. In our understanding, the way the world has shaped us, the humble inherit nothing. Nice guys, finish last. You got to get yours. You got to assert yourself. Jesus says it's exactly the opposite. If you want to be Jesus' disciple, that means he's going to say it later on in Matthew's Gospel You got and Luke's Gospel, you've got to take up your cross and follow him. You've got to submit yourself to whatever the world throws at you because of righteousness. He'll say that by the end of today's passage. To follow Jesus, Paul says in Philippians 2, is to imitate his example of humility. So Jesus is humbled... What does He inherit? Everything. The same is true of His disciples. You humble yourself. You forego the advantages of uh, oppression, oppressing others, of leveraging advantage and privilege over others. You forego that and you inherit everything along with Jesus. You inherit the earth. What's the next one? Verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Righteousness. They will be filled. You hunger and thirst for anything other than righteousness, and you will be left empty, hungry, thirsty, looking for more. All the things that we chase. Everyone in this room does this. Chase after things that will satisfy us, and we always, without fail, and you can't think of a single example where this isn't right, we end up hungering and thirsting more we left unsatisfied. He says, as you seek righteousness, as you desperately seek to live a life that is in sync with, congruent with the heart and mind and will of God, that's where you find satisfaction. Last one. Verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Again, this is repeated through his teaching in the Lord's Prayer that we'll get to in a few weeks, uh, in the parable of the unforgiving servant. This is, this is the idea. Those who have been shown mercy are always merciful to others. Otherwise, they haven't got it. They haven't understood how much God has forgiven them if they go around and hold their fist and, and, and hold that grudge and and refuse to extend mercy to those around them. And so I want to jump in where we left off last time and we'll do the last, what is it, three? Three and a half Beatitudes. And so he begins in verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. We're going to have to constantly come back to this fact that we have domesticated these verses. We've become numb to them. If you've been around Christianity for a while, you know your Bible well, then you have smoothed out the sharp edges on this teaching. So you just need to hear this as if you were sitting on the mountain with Jesus at the time. He just said, the pure in heart, they will see God. The issue at hand for Jesus in the original setting is, and this is his, his big beef with the religious leaders of the day, Jesus' beef was not with religion. Jesus was very religious. His beef is not with religion. His beef was with the religious leaders who had made purity something that consists of externalities, They made purity what we do and show to others. That's why he keeps hacking them down all through this sermon, calling them hypocrites. Remember, hypocrite, as Jesus uses it, is a little bit different to how we use it. We say a hypocrite is someone who says something and does another. For Jesus, it's someone who does something disconnected from their heart. It's different. They do the acts of righteousness. They give to the poor. They tithe to the church. They read their Bible. They say their prayers. They fast. They do all of these things, but there's no connection internally. It's all external. So this is the challenge, right? Blessed are the pure, what? Externally? Those who, who purify themselves ritually? No, he says the pure in heart. That's the issue. Remember, I said last week, uh, first week actually, two weeks ago, I gave you this definition of the heart. And, uh, and this is what Jesus means all throughout the Sermon on the Mount that we're going to see this, the word heart repeated over and over again. It's the true inner person from which all else flows. It's the seed of both emotional and mental faculties. He doesn't have this division between heart and head. In Hebrew, understand the heart, is, it's all of this. It's all whatever your inner person is. So he's able to say, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What you say, how you speak to others, that comes from within you. That's who you really are. So Jesus wants to see purity of heart, the pure in heart. This is why he keeps calling out these... Hypocrites, the religious leaders of the day. He goes hard on them, like two-footed on them. Like in Matthew 23, you can read the whole thing. It's brutal, but he's a little expert. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which appear beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of the bones of the dead and every kind of impurity. In the same way, on the outside, you seem righteous to people. But inside, you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. In contrast to that, which is a danger for everyone in this room. Ultimately, it's what's driving you when you're screaming at your wife and threatening your kids in the car park and walk into this place and it's like hey peace of the lord be with you what's driving that is hypocrisy blessed are the pure in heart now he's going to not just expose those guys all right don't let the scribes and pharisees become your alibi he's going to expose us as well He's going to say things like we're going to get to this after easter in chapter 5 verse 27 to 28 you have heard that it was said do not commit adultery but i tell you everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart what's the purpose of that it's to expose us it's to show us it's to show us our bankruptcy It's to it's 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 to prevent us at all costs out of love from just making it about the external appearance. Well, I've never had sex with someone who's not my wife. It's like that's that's not the issue. Yet don't do that by all means. But the issue is a heart issue. It's not just externalities. This is, this is what's going on within. That's where all of the, 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 the discipleship of Jesus' rubber hits the road. So what do we do? Like, I've said the purpose of this sermon is not just to get us to despair of ourselves and throw ourselves on the mercy of grace. But it is that too. It's just way more than that. But yes, it is that He has that purpose. He has the purpose of getting us to recognize our bankruptcy, to recognize that we are poor in spirit. So our response to seeing something like that should be to go, oh my God, I'm stuffed. If only the pure in heart will see God, then I never will. What are we meant to do then? The rest of the gospel will show you the way and the good news is it's full of grace as well as truth just like jesus was but jesus brother james had a really good insight on this he seems like someone who just did what everyone in this room should do it seems like he memorized the sermon on the mount because if you read his letter it's just full of sermon on the mountish kind of language And in in his letter, James, the the half-brother of Jesus, here's what he says in in chapter 4, verse 8. He says, draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Seems to me like there are three responses we could make to being exposed like this by Jesus. To having the impurity of our hearts exposed the first thing we could do first option is to kill jesus that's what you could do those scribes and pharisees that he called out for being hypocrites that was what they decided to do just kill jesus and then you don't have to listen to him anymore so we could do that we can do that in our own experience just kill just just wipe out jesus don't read your bible Don't come to church. Don't hang around Christian people who keep reminding you of what Jesus said. Just kill him. And then you don't have a problem anymore. You can be a hypocrite all you like. Um, And so that's one option. I'm not recommending it. It's no word of application. But it's something some of us can and will do. The second one is to despair. You see something like that, only the pure in heart will see God, and you despair. There is a kind of despair that leads to destruction. Paul describes it in that 2 Corinthians passage about the difference between good grief and worldly grief. One leads to comfort and repentance and forgiveness. One leads to death and destruction. There is a kind of despair that leads to destruction it's where you just get so down on yourself, you self-flagellate yourself so much that you don't you forget the fact that Jesus was flagellated for you. You crucify yourself over the state of your heart and forget that Jesus was crucified in your place. This manifests itself not in irreligion but in kind of religious observance without the gospel. Just make sure you pray these prayers, you give this money, you turn up and do these rituals and you'll be able to some, maybe you know, God might be gracious to you one day. It's actually the message of every other religion apart from Jesus' religion. There's another kind of despair which we've talked about before in the, the, the blessed are the mourners. It's the despair that leads you to the, to the realisation I am poor in spirit and therefore I must throw myself on God's mercy. Now, if you get to that point, you can take the third and best option, and that is to draw near to God. How many of us, when we come to the conclusion that we are bankrupt, that we are impure, probably mostly in light of the fact that you just looked at that video on your phone, or you just gossiped about that person behind their back, or you just woke up from that drinking too much last night whatever it is normally in light in the, in the in the cold light realization of that sin most of us withdraw from god but james says no do the opposite draw near draw near to god and he will draw near to you and then you have an active role to play in this cleanse your hands sinners Purify your hearts, you double-minded. You have a role to play. As God draws near to you, He enables you to participate in that act of purification, that act of cleansing, that coming before Him in contrition and confession and repentance. I tell you what is a good thing just to have in your pocket for times like this when you come to that realisation that you're impure in heart and only the pure in heart will see God. A good place to go is Psalm 51. It's the psalm that uh, that Jesus that, um, that, that King David wrote when he was confronted with his adultery and murder. When the prophet Nathan called him out and he was exposed he wrote this psalm this psalm of repentance. And in it he says, create in me a clean, clean heart, O oh God. A pure heart. Pray that prayer. Blessed. Happy. Flourishing are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. The peacemakers. Kind of pretty apt, given current events. And actually not just current events, but just all the events in all of human history. The peacemakers are blessed. The peacemakers will be called sons of God. This is not just um, a passive preference for um, for, for peace rather than conflict. This is not just uh, lucky you if you are more of a withdrawn kind of person rather than an aggressive kind of person. This is not a reward for a certain disposition this is an active role that jesus is giving to his people he's saying the blessed ones are the ones who make it their mission to make peace not just preferring peace but making peace producing peace let's read you a quote this is what i wrote out in the, in the series guide for which you'll get one day i promise I'll finish it one of these days. But here's what I said. The peacemakers are not just passive people who perverse serenity to conflict. Rather, they busy themselves with helping establish God's kingdom of peace on earth. True shalom peace, that Hebrew word, shalom, is not merely the absence of conflict, but God's restorative work of justice. It builds Thus the peacemakers will be called sons of God as they imitate their father's work. This is what God is up to. You're a son of God. And so you're in the family business. And God's business is about making peace on earth, establishing his kingdom rule on earth, building, making shalom peace on earth this this is this incorporates so much of what jesus calls us to in this sermon this is sharing the gospel with people so that they would be redeemed welcomed into the kingdom of god this is work, works of justice wherever you see injustice you are seeing something that is at odds with god's kingdom building work so where you seek to alleviate that injustice you are participating in god's work of peacemaking this is creation care. You know, this is kind of, somehow has become unpopular in people from this kind of tribe that we belong to as a church, that, that actually the work of peacemaking includes caring for God's creation. God's work of peacemaking is ultimately in restoring not just us, but the creation that we live in. You walk home today and you pick up a bag of rubbish You are participating, in my view, in God's work of peacemaking, establishing His kingdom on earth. You are undoing the curse. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the kingdom builders. They will be called sons of God. And finally... quickly, verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. I think this is just a little, this is Jesus sort of framing up the rest of the sermon, because he's going to keep calling you to righteousness. He's going to keep showing you what it means to live righteously. He's going to tell you Next week, in fact, that you are salt, that you are light, that there is a way of being in the world that belongs to you. Not that one day you will be those things, but you are those things. And, and what that means is in 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 at least from at least one angle and at least some of the time, you will be persecuted because of those things. Persecuted because of righteousness. He's anticipating, look, this is the way it's going to be if you follow my teaching. This is just the way it's going to be. He goes on in verse 11 and 12, fleshes that out a bit. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you falsely, say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. That is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, Something we just need to be real clear on. Notice why it is that he's saying they'll be persecuted. Verse ten, because of righteousness. Verse eleven, because of me. He doesn't mention because you're a jerk. I was trying to think of a non-American way of saying jerk. I couldn't think of anything. Do you guys have something? It's a bit. It's a bit American. But I can't think of anything better. A jerk. I remember coming across these guys on the, on the Gold Coast when we were up there for a Bible college thing. This is like 20 years ago. And they were doing street preaching and people kept heckling them and chucking stuff at them. And and we talked to them afterwards and they're like, yeah, this is just you know, it's just part of being a, you know, just part of preaching the word. The thing is, right, they were being jerks. <laughs> I don't think they were getting stuff chucked at them because they were reading... John 3.16, they were yelling at people and saying that God's judgment was coming on people because of this and that sin. They were doing all the externality stuff without speaking to the heart. So just remember this, all right? There is, we do ha- there is this thing in some quarters of Christianity, this sort of persecution complex. Like the, where it kind of makes us feel better, makes us feel like martyrs if people are always against us. Just check whether it's not just because you're a moron, okay? That's another word for it. when they persecute you because of me, he says, because of righteousness. He's just letting us know, if we actually hear what he has to say in this sermon and do it, you're probably going to get knocked down from time to time. People aren't necessarily going to love you for it. He says to his disciples in John 15, he's like, you guys, you're not greater than your master. Just remember that. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. Paul says to his little protege, Timothy, everyone who wants to live a godly life, a righteous life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It just comes with the territory. So I think he just just wants you to know that ahead of time. That's coming for you. And he wants to reassure you, if that happens, persecuted because of him, because of righteousness, you're blessed. In fact, you're not just blessed, you can rejoice and be glad because your reward in heaven is great. Now, we're going to see, really from now until the end of this series, we're going to see from Jesus teaching, commands, and illustrations about what it means to live that blessed life. What does it mean to live as a disciple of Jesus. So I encourage you, please, keep showing up. Keep reading ahead. One thing I really encourage you to do is in your household, with your family, or if you 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 live alone, do this anyway. Read out loud the passage that's coming up the, the week before. Read it out loud. That stops you from just stumbling through it. Read it out loud a few times and ask God to be preparing yourself, your heart, to hear from what Jesus has to say to you from week to week. All right, I'm going to leave it there. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for this word from our Lord Jesus. We thank you for the challenge and for the invitation to live the good life. And I pray that as we make our way through this series over the half of this year, Lord, that you would be expanding our hearts, expanding our capacity to hear this word, to receive it and to apply it to our lives, individually, its families, as this church congregation gathered together, Lord, enable us to live like Jesus, to live the good life. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And we're going to continue